With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bekamadaf Mem, page 40. We begin 11 lines in Tanarabban. We learn that a Brisa, Petropsim Meshalman Haliyah. The guardians will pay from their land. Vein Meshalman Koifer, a guardian for Yusomim, for orphans, for minors, will not have to pay the Kofer, the special Knas, the special fine, which is if an ox goes and kills a person, so normally there's a fine, but in such a case, in the case of orphans, there won't be the obligation to pay. Mantana, who is Artana Kufra Kapar that holds that the reason that there's not going to be an obligation to pay is because this Kofar, this fine, is coming to atone for them? And since they are minors, these orphans, they don't have the ability to become atoned for. So who's the one that holds this way? Amr of Chizda. So Rav Chizda says, This is the sheet of the concept of Rishmael, the son of Rabbi Yechem Ebraka, the time of Rishmael. The verse says that if his ox kills, so he has to redeem his soul. So who's value has to be paid, the main nizik. So the Tanakama holds that you have to take the value of the person who got killed, and you take his value as he would have been if he was alive as a slave, and that's the amount that he has to pay in order to redeem his soul, in order to get an atonement. Rishmael, the son of Rabbi Yechem says, the main mazik, that the value has to do with the value of the person who caused the damage, the owner of the ox. Let us say that this is what their argument, the rabbis hold that the, the payment, this fine has nothing to do with the fact that you're getting an atonement, it's just a payment for the damages that you cause. So that's why you have to pay the value of the person who got damaged. For Rabbi Shmuel, B'nai Shil, Rabbi Yechem, and Breka, Sovar, and Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yechem, and Breka, holds Kufr Kapara, that it's coming for an atonement for him. So he has to pay his own value because he's atoning for himself. That's why he pays the value of himself. Amr Papa, so Papa says, Light. That's not true. The Kuliyam Kufr Kaparahu. Everyone agrees that in fact it's coming for an atonement. And the argument here just has to do with how does he gain his atonement? So the rabbi saw that he pays the value of the person who got killed, and that's how he gains atonement for himself. That the way that he gets an atonement is based on paying his own value. My time at the Rabbanon. Where did the rabbis learn that the amount, the, the value that he has to pay in order to get atonement is based on the person who got damaged, got killed, because they learn it as follows. It uses the word yushas, which means to be placed both over here, in our case, and also uses it in regards to a different case, which is a case where a man went and he caused damage to a, to a woman, and caused her to miscarry, he has to pay for the children, the, the value of that child that, that was miscarried. So in both places he uses the word yushas, which means to place upon him the obligation to pay. So the rabbis learn that just like over there, in regards to the woman, so so whose value are you paying? You're paying based on the value of the person who got damaged. So to over here, the rabbis hold, in our case as well, in order to get this atonement, you're going to have to pay the value of the person who got damaged, the person who got killed. And Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yechem and Broca, holds no. The verse says, he shall give the redemption of his soul, implying that he has to pay for his own value. The Rabbanon, the Rabbanon, how did they respond to that, the rabbis? In, true, it says that he has to redeem his soul. The way he redeems the soul is paying the value of the person who got killed. The Gemara continues. Rabbi was speaking to Rav Nachman and says to him, Rav Achabar Yaakov is a tremendously great person. So Rav Nachman responded and said, When he comes to you, bring him to me. So when Rav Achabar Yaakov came to Rav Nachman, so he said to him, Ask me a question. 
So we asked in the following question. Let's say you have an ox which belongs to two partners. So how do they pay the kofar, the special knas, if the ox went and killed somebody? And the issue here has to do with the fact that since the kofar, this special fine, is something that's paid because it's coming to bring a kapara, an atonement for the person, so the question is as follows. Do we say that each one pays the full amount in order that they each get their atonement? The Torah says that there's only one payment of this fine. Fine. That's that's supposed to be paid. Meaning the family is only supposed to receive one time. So how can you pay double? and not twice. What are you going to say that each one of them pays half? The Torah seems to imply that the only way to get atonement is if they pay the full amount. not half. So what are you going to do? What are you going to say in this case where there's two partners? So as he was sitting there and thinking about this question, so he says to him as follows. Another question. He throws on another one. Tanan. It says in the Mishnah. If there's a case where a person promised to give a value, the value of himself or the value of someone else to the temple as a donation. So now, that's something that's not dachuflo, it's not something that's pressing upon him in order to attain an atonement or something. So therefore, what the gizbar has the right to do, the person who is in charge of the treasury, so he has the right to go into the guy's house and take a collateral in order that that will force him to pay. However, if a person has an obligation to bring a sacrifice in order to atone for himself, so then the gizbar, the person who is in charge of the treasury, does not have a right to walk into the person's house and take a collateral to force him because he's going to do it on his own. So basically what we see is, if he'll do it on his own, then we don't take a collateral. If he won't do it on his own, he needs a little bit of an extra push, so then we do take a collateral. Chayvi cut from my. What's going to be in a case where a person has an obligation to pay this kofar, this special fine where his ox killed someone? Keep in the kaparahu, since it's a kapar, it's coming for an atonement, kechatos va'oshom dami, it's going to be considered like the case where a person has to get an atonement, right, because he has to bring the sacrifices. And therefore it's something that's pressing upon him, it's something that's that's serious to him, and therefore we won't have to force him by taking collateral from him. Or perhaps, no. Since, where does he have to give the money to, to his friend, to another person? So he just views it as a monetary issue, and he doesn't view it the same way as he views something he has to give to the treasury, to the temple. It's not as stringent upon him, it's not as pressing upon him. And therefore we would have to indeed take a collateral to force him to pay. Or also, since he personally didn't do a sin, but rather it's only his ox that caused the damage, so he doesn't see it as such a stringent thing upon him, and therefore again we need to force him by taking a collateral. Amr Leis, we responded and said, Shavkan, leave me alone, I have enough problems from your first question, now you want me to answer your second question? The Gemara continues, Let's say somebody borrows an animal from someone else, an ox, and he thought that the animal was a tame animal. It turns out that the animal is a wild animal. And it went in a gourd. So the original owners, the ones who it was borrowed from, they have to pay half the damages. The person who borrowed it only has to pay half of the damages, even though it was in his care. Who would be based shoyel? If let's say it became mu, it became wild while it was in the house uh, under the possession of the person who had borrowed it, and then he returned it to the original owners. So now if it goes in gores, the owners only have to pay half. The shoyel potter, the person who had borrowed it, and under him it had become mu, it had become wild. He has no obligation to pay miklum at all. Amar mar. 
So now we're going to go through explaining what we just said. If he borrowed it and he thought that it was a tame animal, it turned out that it was mood, it was a wild animal. So the owners had to pay half the damages. The person who borrowed it has to pay half the damages. Gemara says, why does the person who borrowed it have to pay half the damages? Why can't he say, What did I borrow from you? original owners. I borrowed an animal that was a regular tame animal as far as I was concerned. I didn't know that I would have to watch a wild animal, a wild lion. So why should I have to pay it all? Amarav. So Rav says, What are we speaking about over here? He saw when he borrowed it that this animal was a little bit of a wild animal. He didn't realize that it had already gored three times, but he realized right away that the animal was wild and that he would have to watch it properly. So why can't he say, why can't the person who borrowed it say as follows? Why should I have to pay? I borrowed an animal that was tame. I didn't borrow an animal that was a wild animal, as far as I was concerned. So the reason that he can't say that is because the person can respond, the person he borrowed it from, can say as follows. Soif, soif, in the end, even if it was a tame animal, you still would have had to pay half the damages. So, so too over here now, also go and pay half the damages. The name of the Gemara says, why can't he say to him, if it was in fact a tame animal, so it would have been paid from the animal itself, and I wouldn't have lost any money, the person who borrowed it can say. No, the person who he borrowed it from can say as follows. Soif, soif, in the end, all, even if it would have been paid from the animal itself, you would have had to return to me my ox. So, you borrowed an ox to get to return the ox. So, in any event, you would have ended up paying for a new ox and I would have gotten an ox back. So, therefore, th- there's no time you can't say, oh, it would have gone out of the animal itself. You still would have had to pay. Vinamale, so why can't he say to him, meaning the person who borrowed it, why can't he say, we turn to my mom at base, page 40b, im tam hava, if the animal was tame, hava moidinum, afterina. So, then there's a concept that this whole idea of paying, when we're talking about paying half the damages if it's a tame animal, it's a knas, it's a fine. There's a concept when it comes to a fine, so a person who admits to a fine does not have to pay the fine. So he could say, I wouldn't have had to pay, I would have admitted that I owed it, and I would have become potter, I wouldn't have had the obligation to pay. Even according to the one who says it's not a fine, but actually it's a monetary uh, value that has to be paid, namely, he could still say, If indeed it was a tam, I would have brought it to a place where no one could access the animal, and therefore, so the simple understanding is, therefore, no one would have been able to collect from it. I wouldn't have had to pay in the end. And but now that it's now that it's a mu, now that it's an animal, it's a wild animal, so it doesn't have to pay for the actual animal itself. So even if I would take it somewhere else, we're still going to end up having to pay. So he should be able to say, if it's a tom, I wouldn't have had to pay at all. Tosis adds on just a little bit of an explanation as to why would a guy go and and take it somewhere where he's not going to have to pay? What are we dealing with people who are evil? So he explains that what he would have done is, no, of course, he wouldn't have tried to get out of paying completely, but he would have brought it to a place where it would have been difficult for the person who got damaged to get his money, and then he would have made it a little bit hard to the point where the person who got damaged would have agreed to take less. So basically what he's saying is, I could have basically gotten out of either most of the payment or part of the payment, but now that it's a mood, now that it's wild, so I have no tricks I can pull, no shtick to pull. So that's his time, so why does he have to pay? says, What are we talking about here? He can't say that I would have brought it to a faraway place where no one would have been able to get to the animal. Because we're talking about a case where the court itself actually grabbed the animal, took possession, seized the animal, and therefore there's no difference if it's a tame animal or a wild animal, he still would have had to pay no matter what.
So the Gemara says, Ihachi, if that's the case, that the court went and had grabbed the animal, buy them a Why do the owners have to pay half their damages? Namely, why can't they say to the person who borrowed it, you have to pay everything? Why? Now that the court has grabbed it, so now it's in a place that we can't even deal with them. We can't go and bring the court to court, so to speak. If, as long as it was with you, so then we could have brought you to court, and we could have dealt with you and ended up not having to pay. So, but now, it's, it's in the hands of the court. We can't do that. So therefore, you should have to pay. So the person who borrowed it can respond and say like this, If I had in fact returned it to you, would the court not have taken it away from you? In other words, no matter what, you would have ended up having to pay. And therefore, there's no such time. There's nothing to say that I should have to pay for the full amount. So why can't they say to him, If you had in fact returned it to us, we would have put it in a place where the court wouldn't have been able to access it. So so he can respond to them and say, Soif, soif, in any event, where are they collecting from? Not from the animal itself. What are you guys paying? You're paying the half, which is the muad half, the wild half. So they're not collecting from the animal itself, they're collecting from a piece of land. In any event, you're going to end up having to pay. So the says, That would be a good taina, a good statement on the part of the person who borrowed it, only where the person who was borrowed from had property. But if the person who was borrowed from doesn't have any property, so the only place that the person is going to be able to collect from the one who got damaged is going to be from the animal itself. So he could, in fact, have sent the animal off to a place where the best in the court couldn't have grabbed it. So why can't the person who was borrowed from say to the person who borrowed it, you have to pay? Because he can respond and say, just like I have an obligation to pay this guy, you also have an obligation to pay this guy. Me, the Rabbi Nassim, based on the concept of Rabbi Nassim, the Tanya, we have a brisa. Rabbi Nassim, from where do we know that if one person owes money to another, and that person owes a second person, how do we know that if A owes B and B owes C, that C can go to A? And it's considered that B paid him. That's why the verse says, and she'll give it to the one who he is guilty to him. So basically what happens is like this. The person who had borrowed the animal, so now it's been given over to the court, or the court seized it. So the person who it was borrowed from is saying, why did you give it over to the court? I would not I would have gotten out of paying it. So the person who borrowed it is saying like this, well listen, you really owe the money to the courts. So now what did I do? I just bypassed you and I gave it directly to the courts. So you have no time, you have nothing to say that I did something wrong. You would have had to pay it anyway. So it's like this shibuta de rabnasim, where one person owes it to the other, the other person owes it to the other. The person can bypass the middle party and go straight to him. So the courts basically did the same thing and therefore there's nothing for you to say that you wouldn't have been able to or wouldn't have had to pay. Now the Gemara continues going back on that b'risa. Who would be based shayl? We said at the end of the b'risa that if it became wild when it was in the house of the person who borrowed the animal, and then the animal was returned to the original owners, and then it gored. So we don't consider it wild anymore, and the owners only have to pay half the damages. And the person who originally borrowed it um, under whom it became it became wild doesn't have any obligation to pay at all. So from this section, it implies that when it goes from the ownership or the responsibility of the person who borrowed it to the to back into the ownership, the responsibility of the person who lent it out, so then it changes status. It changes from being wild to being not wild. 
Reisha, but in the first section, the implication was Rishus Ena when it transferred from the possession of the person who lent it out, where it was wild, into the possession of the person who borrowed it. It was still considered wild. So you see that when it transfers, it doesn't lose its original status. So it's a steer, it's a contradiction between the first part and the second part. Amr Vyechanon, Vyechanon says Tavra, this is indeed problematic. And the first part of the Brisa was not learned along with the second part of the Brisa. They're not connected. Rabba Omar, Rabba says no. These two Brisas, these two parts are definitely part of one Brisa, and it's actually not a contradiction. How do we explain it as follows? From the fact that we see in the first section of the Brisa that if it transfers into a different possession, it's not considered that it loses its original status. So too, in the second half, it should really be that it didn't lose its status. So then why? When it was in the person who borrowed it, it's considered wild. But now that it returns to the original owners, is it not considered wild? This say for time, uh, the reason is, Mishum the Amar Lai can say like this, Lav kol The person who lent it out can say, You, the person who borrowed it, does not have the right or the ability to make my animal to be considered wild. You didn't watch it like you own it, and therefore, I don't have the responsibility as if it's wild, and therefore, even though normally, when it transfers possessions, it retains its status, the status that you brought upon it is not a strong status, and therefore, in this case, the status will fall off, and all I have ob- obligation to pay is half the damages. Rapapa Omar, Rapapa takes the exact opposite approach of Rabba. He says like this, the safe from the fact that we see in the second half that when it transfers from the person who borrowed it and it was wild back into the possession of the person who had lent it out and it's no longer considered wild, Rishonami Rishos Mishana. So also in the first case, really it should be that when it transfers possessions, it does change status. So why over here do we see that it doesn't change its status in this case? Because in this case where it's being borrowed anywhere where it goes, shame ba'alav olav. The owner's name is still upon it. Meaning, since this case is not an actual full transfer of possession, it's just a borrowing that's happening. So, anywhere this animal goes, everyone knows this animal belongs to the person who lent it out. And therefore, since it still has the name of the person who lent it out, and under his possession it became wood, it became wild, so it still has that status, and if it indeed gores, it's going to have to pay full damages. But where it became wood, it became wild, in the possession of the person who borrowed it. So then, the status that it it gets is not as strong of a status and when it goes back to the original owners so it's not it's no longer going to be called on the name of the person who borrowed it it's going to be called on the name of the person who lent it out and as far as that person is concerned it never became wood it became wild so therefore it's no longer going to have a status of being called wild it's not going to have to pay full damages only half the damages now we're going to go to the Mishnah, the last case of the Mishnah, which is a very interesting case. Sure, it's Tadin, Enechayev, Misa, Bechule, etc. We said in the Mishnah that the, the ox is used in a stadium in a bullfight, so there's no obligation for that ox to be killed, because as we said in the Mishnah, because it's only if it gored on its own, not if it's taught to gore. And these animals are taught to fight and to kill a person. So therefore, there's no obligation for the animal to actually be killed because it's not really called that it's doing it it's on its own. It was taught to do it. Iboyle, who ask you a question, Will this animal be allowed to be brought on the altar? Can it be brought as a sacrifice? Because normally, so an animal that killed somebody is not allowed to be brought. However, this animal, it's, in a certain sense, it's not considered that it killed somebody because it didn't do it on its own. It did it because it was taught to do that. So will that be considered good enough that it can be brought on the altar or not? Rav Amar Kasha. Rav says it's indeed okay. Shmuel says no, it can't be brought on the altar 
altar in the temple. Rav Amar Kasher, Rav says it's okay, Anasu, because the animal is considered like it did it not of its own accord. It did it because it was forced to, it was taught to do that. Shmuel Amar Pasul, and Shmuel holds no, it's no good. Why? Because there was a sin that was accomplished with this animal, namely that it killed someone, and therefore can't be brought on the altar. It's inappropriate for this animal to be brought. Mesve. I'll ask you a question as follows. Minha Behem, the verse says that you're going to bring an animal as a sacrifice. It says, from the animals. That's implying that it's not all animals that can be brought. This comes to exclude an animal that was it was lied with it carnally. A person had relations, heaven forbid, with this animal. So such an animal cannot be brought on the altar. Minha Bakar, it says, from the cattle, implying not all cattle. It comes to exclude an animal that was worshipped as idolatry. Minha it says, from the sheep, implying not all the sheep. So this is coming to exclude something, an animal which was set aside to be worshipped as an idolatry. It says, and from the sheep, there's an extra vav. So this comes to exclude an animal that killed somebody that can't be brought on the altar. If it says a case where an animal had lied carnally with a person, so why does it have to say also the case where it killed somebody? They're both averse, they're both transgressions. So why can't it just say it once we'll know the other one? And once we already have the concept of an animal that caused damage and killed a person that it can't be brought on the altar, why does it also have to say the case where it lied carnally with a person. Because they're different. There are th- things that are true in regards to an animal that lied carnally with a person that are not true in regards to an animal that killed a person. There are also things that are unique to an animal that killed a person that aren't true in regards to an animal that lied carnally with a person, even though they both did a sin. When it comes to an animal that lied carnally, it doesn't matter if the animal was actively involved or if it was passively involved, it still has an obligation, it has to be killed, and it can be born on the Mizbeach. But in regards to an animal that kills, it's not the same if it did it actively of its own accord, and if it did it because it was forced to do it, because it was taught to do it. So there are differences already. Another difference that we see is that when an animal kills a person, so you have to pay this knas, a special fine, the value of the person. But an animal that lies carnally with a person doesn't have to pay this fine. So you see that they're different. That's why it was necessary to say each of these cannot be brought on the altar, because each of them has a separate halacha that makes it a different type of thing than the other one. Katani Mias, the Gemara says, we did, however, say in the Mishnah, that in regards to an animal that lied carnally with a person, so it's the same in regards to whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally. It did it actively or passively. But when it comes to an animal which caused death, so there is a difference between an animal which caused death intentionally or it caused it because it was led to do it, it was forced to do it. So what do we see? The Gemara says, in what regards do we say that there's a difference between where it was done intentionally, where the animal did it intentionally, or did it because it was forced or taught to do it, lavle korban. Maybe it's coming to say that there's a difference in regards to whether it can actually be brought on the altar as a sacrifice. And then that would show that since there's a difference, that means only if it was done intentionally, if the animal did it on its own, you, can it not be brought on the altar. But if it, if it in fact did it because it was taught to do it, so then it could be brought on the altar, and that would show that Rav is correct, that it's kosher. So the Gemara says, light, lick tala. The truth is that this is only in regards to the fact that whether the animal has an obligation to be killed. But it could very well be that Shmuel is correct, that even if it doesn't have an obligation to be killed, it still cannot be brought on the Mizbech, on the altar in the temple. And this in fact makes sense. De'i amris, the carbon, because if in fact we meant that there's a difference in regards to whether it can be brought on the altar as a sacrifice, and the verse says, in regards to an animal that, that killed a person, it wasn't made the same 
what does it mean it wasn't made the same? It makes it sound like the verses didn't make it the same if it did it intentionally or if it did it because it was taught to do it. So in regards to the verses that are talking about whether you can bring it as a sacrifice in the temple, it doesn't say explicitly anything about whether an animal such as this can or cannot be brought. It only says it It must be talking about death because only in regards to death do we have an implication from the verses themselves whether or not it's going to be killed. The Gemara continues, We said previously, If an animal caused death, so it has to pay, the owner has to pay the kofer, the special fine, the value of the person that got killed. But an animal that lied carnally with a person does not have to pay the fine. Hey, what's the case where the animal does not have to pay the fine where it lied carnally with a person? If it's talking about a case where it lied carnally and then killed the person, what do we care if it killed with its horns or if it killed while it was uh, having lying carnally with a person? So it must be that we're saying there's an obligation to pay because it just lied carnally with the person and it didn't kill the person. Umar says, of course it doesn't pay kofer, of course it doesn't pay this fine because it didn't kill anyone. How can you say that this is true by this one, not by that one? It's implying that it's talking about the same case. Really, I'll tell you that it lied carnally with a person, but it didn't kill a person. The woman that lied carnally with this animal was brought to court, and they ended up killing the woman. So therefore, the, the it's like the animal, in a certain sense, has caused the death of this woman, which was, she was killed by the courts, but it was the animal's fault, because the animal lied carnally with her. You might have thought, that is considered as if the animal has, in fact, killed her. That's why we're saying, no, that it's not considered that the animal has killed her, because she was killed by the courts, and therefore there's no obligation that the animal received death. Rava Amar, Rava says, La'ilam de Rava Vekatla, we consider the cases where the animal lied carnally with a woman and killed the woman. And the question that we ask, what's the difference if it kills her with goring or kills her by, by lying with her? Karen Kavanas Lahazik, because when an animal gores, it has intention to destroy, to kill, to maim. Hai Kavanas Lahanas Atzmahu. But this animal, when it's lying carnally with her, didn't intend to kill her. It meant to have an enjoyment, and therefore, it's not going to have an obligation to be killed. But my plea, what are they arguing about? They're arguing about the concept of an animal that was walking along and it trampled over a child, heaven forbid, in a place that belongs to the person who got damaged. So according to Abayas, you have to pay the knas, even though the animal didn't actually gore the person, but it was doing regular, it was walking along doing a normal thing, you still have to pay, according to Abayas, you have to pay the knas, this fine, for killing a person. According to Rav, you don't have to pay this fine. We have a brisa that implies like Rav, sure, it's that an ena chayiv misa, it says explicitly in this brisa that an animal that's used in the stadium, so it doesn't have to be killed, and it's allowed to be used on the altar, because it's considered as if it was forced to do it, and not that it did it on its own.